You're an all-star, get your game on, go play. Hey now, you're a rock star, get the show on, get paid. Welcome to another episode of the NRL All-Stars Podcast. This is Barnsley, back for the weekly Talk and Footy episode. This episode, we've got a brand new special guest on the podcast to talk footy for the week, and that is Andrew. Andrew is actually one of the hosts of the We Got the Chocolates podcast, which is a fantastic podcast with a few other guys on there with Andrew that um, do some great talking about, well, sport in general and also everything else too. Andrew, welcome aboard to the All-Stars podcast. Great to have you. I know you've listened to the podcast before and stuff, but tell, tell everyone about the podcast that you've actually got running as well. Yeah, thanks, mate. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, no, we're, we're, uh, where we got the chocolates, we were originally sort of more of a, a sports podcast, but we've sort of taken a bit of a turn into sports and, I guess, attempted humour. Um, I've got a pretty big sports background, so I try and weasel in as much sport as we can. But no, like you said, it's um, a group of mates. We try and, I guess, bring the locker room to the lounge room, I guess, is our tagline. We try and talk about things that you talk in the change room and, and stuff with your mates, and we do it over a quiet beer as well. So it's it's really good fun. And, and like you said, I've been um, I've been listening to you and your podcast for the last few years, and you know, it's a great space to be in the podcast space at the moment. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, well, it is a good one. So if you want to have a look at Andrew's podcast, we've got the chocolates. Go and listen to those boys because it's a lot of fun. And also, Andrew, I guess, um, obviously, your background as well. You mentioned your um, exercise physiology you're in as well. Yes, that's it. Yeah. And, and, and just like, I just love playing sport as a kid growing up, mate. So, uh, you know, I, I took a turn down the cricket path, which ended up sort of working out, you know, quite well for me. But, you know, we're, we're, I guess we're here to talk about footy and footy. Like, I could sit down and watch footy all day. Um, and as soon as March sort of hits, it's, it's footy season all the way through September. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a great game. But like I said, my, my life, uh, went down the cricket path, but uh, I wish I was a little bit bigger and a bit, a bit stronger. I might have headed down the footy path as well. So. <laughs> Should we talk about the team that you support or just leave that out? <laughs> oh, you can if you want. So I guess we're, we're probably both in the position at the moment where we're probably not going um, as well as we like. I'm a, I'm a Rabbitohs man, so we've been very um, oh, hot and cold, I guess. We've put in some good spurts. You know, we played a good 20 minutes against Melbourne, a few in, I think, round two, but we were pretty ordinary against the Tigers last week. So, yeah, um, yeah pretty ordinary. Well, look, for everyone listening, if you're listening for the first time or you're one of the super coach listeners and you've tuned in, so this is the weekly talking footy podcast. So every week, the All Stars podcast has a TLT Tuesday super coach podcast for the super coach fix. And that'll have all the super coach news from Teamless Tuesday that normally hits on a Wednesday. Uh, but each week, as well at the end of the week, we'll also have a talking footy podcast where we'll just talk footy without any super coach and we'll go through. All the ins and outs of what's been going on in rugby league for that week or fortnight, um, recent news and things, and also some old stuff too, like the the legend rewind that we'll do as well with the spotlight on some old players and things like that too. So everything rugby league, uh, unbiased, not affiliated with any media. So we'll just go for it. If you disagree, you disagree. That's all fine. It's all fun and games and all good fun. Uh, let's talk about round six and seven, first of all. I mean, I think the first thing that needs to be said is it was Anzac round. I always really enjoy Anzac round. It's always fantastic to come around to Anzac day and see all the, uh, obviously it's a special day as it is, I think in Australia, but with all the footy and what they do each game and everything, the jerseys, uh, the the commitment to Anzac day with the pre-match stuff and everything, it's just, it's always good to see. And it's still Andrew, even now, like when I see the games, you know, I've watched them for many, many years now, but even now, you know, when you get the first game kickoff and even every game after it and you get the last post played and everything else and the minute silence and 
it's just all it still gives me goosebumps now each round. Yeah, absolutely. Like you said, I think they they've really hit the nail well at the moment. Um, you spoke about the jerseys as well. I thought all the jerseys again look really really good. Probably by Parramatta's that looked a bit of a <laughs> a bit of a mishmoss of oh, I'm not even sure what that was, but you know. Like you said, they, they do it so well now, especially you being a Roosters man. Like that, you know, that Roosters St. George game is, you know, it's, like, I guess, a tradition that, like, everyone, well, no matter what day of the week it is, everyone sits down on a, on a, you know, Monday, however it was this year to, to sit down and watch that game. Um, and then I guess now with the inclusion of the, the Melbourne and the Warriors game, obviously this year's one was probably a little bit different to what we were all expecting yeah. given the score on, but, um, yeah, like I said, they they just do it all so well. There's probably only one negative, which I'm sure we might get to with the uh, old mate yelling out in the crowd at uh, at Suncorp. Probably put a bit of a dampener on uh, on that yeah. particular fixture. I mean, I was going to say too, like it's always one of those things too where you get a lot of crowds worldwide, right? Where you get some misbehaving and stuff, and sometimes with certain crowds, you see worse than others. But I find that Anzac round, everyone's so respectful in the crowd and whatever. So it was there was that one obviously video. Of a, of a guy copying it from the crowd. But, I mean, like, good on to the crowd to standing up to him and stuff. I don't want to condone, condone violence. And he probably got a, a couple of more hits than what was required. But, uh, yeah. you know, it was, um, it was, it's always good to see that the, the crowd actually even stands up for it and says, you know, no, mate, that's not good enough. Stop. You know, this is yeah. Anzac Day. You don't do that sort of shit here. So, oh, absolutely. It's, it's a no-brainer, really, isn't it? It's just it's the one thing you don't do is, you know, during a minute silence, no matter what occasion it is, you don't – yell out you don't do anything so it's yeah like you said we don't, we don't condone violence or anything but my goodness he needed a, a stern talking to at least that's for sure i don't think you'll do it next year um i wouldn't have thought so no <laughs> <laughs> um the, i mean the melbourne um the melbourne and warriors one is always a good one to take away too because i mean people forget the warriors haven't actually been in the league for that many years so mm-hmm. once upon a time when anzac ground came around there was actually no new zealand team and obviously new zealand fought alongside australians um and are very much part of the whole Anzac thing. They're in the name. So it's great having a New Zealand team there as well, just for the Anzac Day camaraderie and what it's all about and spirit and stuff too. And we get that. Um, so that's become a really good game too. Like we said, when we were reviewing the round though, it doesn't look very good for Warriors fans, 70 to 10. It was a bit of a thrashing. And it's probably one of the things we'll go into now, just a quick general thoughts on the, the last couple of rounds. I mean, round six to seven, we talk about the Storm versus Warriors. 70 to 10, 70 points is the most that anyone's put up this season. And it's actually, I think it's only the fifth time anyone's actually put up that type of margin ever um, in the NRL era. And it's just, it's a crazy scoreline to put up 70 points. But it's even more crazy when you look at the fact that Melbourne put on 54 points in the second half. Like at halftime, it was 16 to 10. And it was a 54-0 second half. It was an absolute capitulation. But certainly Melbourne and Penrith these last couple of rounds have obviously gotten the wins, but they've done it easily. So I think that's – obviously it was a talking point before, but two months into the season, you get to look at things a lot more because there's a lot more data involved and everything. And really performances over a two-month period, pretty succinct with where we're at. And the Storm and Penrith the last two weeks, they're just so far beyond anybody else. It's not funny. Yeah, that's it. And, and it's become quite obvious that, again, those two are going to be the teams to catch. Um, I mean, last year, I guess the, the Bunnies ended up making the final, but it was sort of, you know, Penrith and Melbourne ended up on the same side of the draw, um, you know, just because we beat Penrith in that prelim. But it, it's, again, by far and away, Penrith and Melbourne. That you know, Melbourne had that little hiccup against Para a few rounds ago, but at the moment, I can't really see anybody knocking them off just yet. I think Cronulla are going... Okay, but I mean, even still, they conceded thirty-four or thirty-six to Melbourne 
last week and like everyone sort of raved about that performance but yeah like you don't you don't win a lot of games conceding 34 or 36 so look it's 70 to 10 is obviously outrageous and like you said that's, that's got 10 tries in 31 minutes last week so it's like how does that happen like i i got to record our podcast and i listened to it in the car on the way home and pull up at half time and it was 16 10 like you said and i i checked my phone afterwards and i think like like i said it was 10 tries in 31 minutes like is kick off, catch the ball, run down, score, convert, and repeat again. So, uh, yeah, they're, they're by far and away at the moment. Um, but, you know, there's always that one smoker that sort of comes out the pack and gets in a, a little streak, and that might be the Sharks or it might be Parramatta. We never know. So, Yeah, and I think we saw glimpses of it. So, certainly um, in round six, the Sharks versus Melbourne, I don't think the scoreline was particularly fair. Like, a, Melbourne definitely deserved to win the game at 34-18. to 18. I think the Sharks showed, especially in first half, they went toe-to-toe with Melbourne with a bit of back and forth. Uh, and mm-hmm. so I think they definitely showed it. And then you saw a glimpse as well of the Sharks building towards maybe being one of the powerhouses with the round seven performance versus Manly, where they absolutely towered them up in the first half. Obviously, the second half, much different story. But they the score in the first half of Manly wasn't even... the wasn't even telling the whole story of that game for me. They just They physically and in every facet of it dominated Manly. Yeah, and like I'm really enjoying the way the Sharks are actually playing. I, I love, I think, like everyone, everyone's sort of a little bit skeptical of how Nico would go, um, you know, in the six or he ended up playing seven, but in the seven jersey. But he's sort of, you know, roaming both sides of the field. He's sort of playing like nearly like a fullback, but then also kicking and then getting into first receiver as well. But they're getting the ball to the edges so quickly and so crisply. You know, Kennedy's having a good year. I even think. Um, obviously, Talakai's performance, which we'll get to, was outstanding. But I'm like even Jesse Ramian on the other side, like he's probably having his best year in a long, long time as well. So I'm liking how they're going to bat. It's just a matter of can they maybe hold Penrith to Melbourne or Melbourne to you know a 14, 16, 18 score where they can get over the top of them. Um, like I said, like I'm really liking how they're going about at the moment. Yeah, and Talakai obviously had an amazing performance, but we're actually going to chat to him after we go through the round. So we won't go through too much of him just yet, but we're going to. So everyone to strap in, we're going to review Talakai's game. Don't worry about that. <laughs> but the other thing that came out of it too is that, you know, it's, it's one of the great things about rugby league is it's always predictably unpredictable. You know, you've got, uh, you might have teams that you think are, going to be certainties for top four and whatever, and then they look like it. And then all of a sudden for a few weeks, oh, well, they've, they've actually dropped down now and they're not that team anymore. And likewise, there's always a chance for teams that are right down in the doldrums, in the wine cellar, picking wine for, for two months and not looking like they're going to get out and go up the stairs. And then all of a sudden, like the Tigers have done the last two weeks, they've actually had two really good wins, one-point wins, and it's been against Parramatta and South Sydney, who are a lot of good pundits think are probably top four teams this year. So your fortunes can change quite a bit. And the last two weeks for the Tigers, the fortunes have changed dramatically. Yeah, I'd nearly prefer not to talk about the last week's Tigers, well, to be honest with you, mate. But no, it's... Um, it's <laughs> you don't I, want to I, talk about how Souths uh, could have set up for a field goal yeah, a million times and, and they and ended up going for a Jai Arrow grab. Yeah, the, the Jai Arrow <laughs> toe poke that sort of rolled along the ground and trickled dead wasn't exactly... Um, our best effort, but anyway, uh, no, look, I think it's like no real surprise, like with Hastings back. I mean, uh, he's obviously had a, a huge impact, but not only, I guess, for himself, but the way it's probably freed up Brooks a little bit. He's sort of not having to do, you know, all the organizing and then all the creativity as well. Um, you know, especially with Dewey out, like he's probably been their best player the last season or two. So 
I saw somewhere the other day, I think, you know, the average half is touching the ball sort of 60 times a game. And he, he's touched it 90 odd times the last few games. So it's his team at the moment. Like you said, it's great to see. I wish they'd beaten, I don't know, maybe Manly or someone rather than see us on the weekend. But like you sort of, you half want to cheer for him. I'll be cheering him on this weekend against the Dragons. But it's like you said, it, it's good to see because I think we're all sort of getting pretty sick of, you know, I guess maybe towards the back end of last year where, you know, teams are just getting beat up on it. You just write it down for two points. You, you may as well have just move straight to the finals. So, um, but like I said, it's it's really good to see. I'm, I'm sort of happy for him, to be honest with you. Yeah, I think a lot of the rugby league community's gotten around them, and it's been a good two weeks for Tigers and Tigers fans. And certainly, uh, you know, if you're going to be sacked as a coach, the thing that you can quieten down the media and the critics with very quickly is just by winning. And Madge has done that in the last two weeks, and lo and behold, haven't had anything written about Madge the last two weeks. So, you know, that's always mm. the easiest way to get around that. And most of the teams are sort of showing glimpses and things. One of the teams that I don't think I've hardly mentioned on the podcast, which I feel bad about, but you always need that couple of months to really be able to say, all right, look, I'm ready to change my opinion on a team. The Cowboys, the last two rounds, have conceded 16 points between those two games. Uh, and they're actually all of a sudden, you know, trenched in the top eight and their stats are... Pretty remarkable. So last year in the season, they conceded the most points out of anyone. They were last in points conceded. It was over 31 a game that they were giving up to teams. And now it's about 12 points a game and they are conceding the least at the moment. So that is uh, pretty remarkable or second least, I should say, sorry. So, you know, from worst to second best in points conceded and the way they played the last two weeks, you know, they've gotten a couple of good wins. They got one over um, the Raiders and, you know, people might say the Raiders aren't going that well when it was only 18-12, but GIO Stadium, it's a pretty far trek from mm. Townsville as well. So it's always a tough road trip for them. And then last round, Anzac round, 30-4 to four against the Titans. Now the Titans are woeful, but, you know, those 30-4 to thirty to four type of scoreline, not, not that many teams that aren't any good anyway are putting up 30 points a game on anyone. Uh, it's just, it's how the scoring's going at the moment. You've got the top few teams that are scoring points and then, you have to play well to actually get those type of points at the moment. And 30 to four versus Titans, there's nothing to sneeze at. And they did it very dominant as well. So um, yeah, well done to the Cowboys too. I think that's my takeaway as well for the last two rounds. You know, when we're looking at some of the supposed cellar dwellers, um, the Cowboys and the Tigers have really stood up. Yeah, absolutely. And like even, even in attack, you mentioned the defense, which has been fantastic as well. I've actually liked what Drinkwater's done at fullback as well. And I think like, it's sort of going to be hard for Peyton to work out what his sort of best back line is going to be with like, I know the hammer's sort of back or at least close to back. So whether he slides in on the wing or in the centers or, you know, maybe takes, you know, something like a two luggy spot because but even he's been going quite well, but drink water's sort of opened up another little Avenue as well. So like I so said, I'm surprised. I've actually tipped him to be Paramount this weekend as sort of, I guess my, my roughie of the round, like they, mm. they just, uh, you know, up in Darwin as well, sort of hot and sticky and humid. So it just, I just think, yeah, I agree with you. I think they're going a bit better than everyone's sort of giving them credit for. I know they haven't sort of beaten, you know, a real top side or anything yet. But like you said, Canberra and Canberra's tricky. And Canberra, like, they're, they're not going great, but not that bad a side. And, but yeah, like you said, they gave the Titans a real touch-up last week. So I think they're going better than people are giving credit for. Yeah, and I'd almost say, like... I don't want to like you know give some give a heap of credit to the Cowboys and praise and then kind of backhand them, but I'm going to a little bit like it's almost Peyton's almost gotten lucky in a way because I was heavily critical of at the start of the season Peyton leaving out Drinkwater and yeah. he has been he has been a big part of them 
being able to beat teams the last couple of weeks. And certainly, you know, their defence was there before, so, you know, credit Peyton for that. But their attack wasn't really, and the attacks look so much better with Drinkwater there, and he should have been there the whole time. If Hammer didn't get injured um, a few weeks ago, then Drinkwater wouldn't have been in the side. So I'm, I'm mm. kind of, I don't want to give too much credit to that. You know, I, I think it's credit to Drinkwater because he's kept it up in the, in the lower grade. And he's coming to the NRL and he's tried to take that jumper and I think that he has. But like you too, I'm not sure. Like looking at the last two weeks, I don't see how you can leave Drinkwater out. But I also don't know where the hammer fits in. Um, like, I mean, if you were going on form, like Hiku and Holmes have been playing well. You, you couldn't yep. move either of them. Um, Talagi's done a good job on the wing. It's not going to happen, but on form, Felt's probably the guy that you'd actually get rid of. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't see them doing that. Um, so it's going to be interesting. Um, and then in your halves, like I never thought that, I, I always thought that Townsend was a poor signing. I, I still don't think that he's giving them $750,000 worth even the last couple of weeks. <laughs> yes, that they've it's, won. A, it's a lot of money. It's a lot of money, yes. Well, I mean, if, if he was one of triplets and you signed three of them for that, I mean, it'd probably be about <laughs> right. But <laughs> I mean, good on Chad. He's cashing it in. And I can see, you know, he's yeah, a shy absolutely. boy. Absolutely. I don't know if you know much about the Shire, mate, but I'm here and it, it takes a lot to make a Shire boy leave, especially to go all the way up to Townsville. So, I mean, he's, he's mentioned that a lot too, hasn't he? He's sort of even like when he started, so, you know, I'm still a Cronulla boy, blah, 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 blah. So, yeah, I, I can see where he's coming from for sure. But, um, look, it's been a great round of footy. The Anzac round in particular is always great. Uh, but the thing that we need to move on for as a topic is the Telekai Masterclass. So, mm. obviously, the Sharkies beat Manly 34 to 22. Um, and that that made it look a lot closer than what it actually was. But the big takeaway from it was Talakai. It was an absolutely stunning performance. Um, and when you're having a look at the, uh, what happened, it was really a first half, right? Like the, the second half was basically the game was all over and merely kind of mounted a comeback. But Talakai did almost all of his stats in the, in the first half. Uh, I I put on Twitter it was probably the most dominant display I've, I've ever seen from a centre in a half of football. I don't think I've seen a half of football that dominant from any centre. And it's pretty amazing because normally when you talk about the most dominant centre performances that we've seen in games, it's these guys that are all-timers, these guys that are representative players for state and country and stuff. And, and Talakai is none of those things. He's a bit of a journeyman that's kind of just gotten his role because Connor Tracy went down. But when you're having a look at the, the stats for Talakai, it's remarkable. Yeah, he had 20 runs, eight tackle breaks, uh, but that's pretty yeah, stock standard. But two tries, three line breaks, three try assists, and two line break assists. And all of that attack, I think, came in the first half. So to do that in 40 minutes of football, uh, with three offloads as well, by the way, only missed one tackle, no penalties conceded, no errors. It, it was the perfect half of football. And when you actually, I, I mentioned this before uh, a couple of times, um, both in the Supercoach podcast, but also on Twitter and stuff. It's it, it used to be a thing, right, where, you know, back in the day, even 15 years ago, but certainly more than 15 years ago, you would constantly see the hook come out, right? The coaches would come out and say, mate, you're hooked. You know, you're not, you're not, you're not performing, you've done the wrong thing and you'll, you'll get a guy disgruntled sitting on the bench for you know 60 minutes, 50 minutes for the rest of the game type of thing. It doesn't happen in the modern game. Certainly in the last decade, you don't get guys hooked. You know, you can see the worst performances ever from someone and, and coaches just have this thing now where maybe it's player empowerment era, maybe it's uh, they're too scared to make these type of calls, maybe it's because you can't really put guys back in reserve grade anymore. I don't know why, 
But the old-fashioned hook just doesn't happen. Talakai was so good that Morgan Harper got the hook at the half. Yeah. So that probably says about how good Talakai went. Well, and I saw on Twitter as well, like a few, I think, I can't remember if it was Dez Settle or someone I was reading on Twitter. So, you know, he's still recovering from COVID, you know, so they probably just rest him. So, mate, that is just a good old-fashioned yank, really, is that that was just, he just got chewed up and spat out by that one performance. And like you said, it probably was. Like, from from all the footage I've watched, I can't recall any, you know, 40-minute period of, like, absolute dominance that that was, like, um, and you mentioned it as well. Like, you know, you'd normally see it from those, you know, out and out stars. Like, it was sort of the closest thing I could, I guess, from a league perspective is probably like a, like an English, but he probably did it more through just athleticism rather than just, you know, complete brutality. But then he had those sort of touches of finesse. He threw that sort of offload where he was sort of going over the sideline, sort of managed to squeeze out the back and Mulatalo was just sort of standing there. He put the kick in sort of off the outside. Oh, the, how good was the outside kick? Of the, oh, it was, I, I didn't know where he was going to go. I sort of half was sort of thinking, it's like, is he just going to take the fullback on and just try and run over him here? And he's gone outside of the foot and it's just landed on a dime. Um, it was incredible. I, I sort of, like, I was trying to, before today, I was trying to think, you know, how can you describe it? It sort of reminded me, sort of not someone in the sport where to, it sort of reminded me of like Jonah Lomu. Yeah, really. like yeah, he, good comparison. You know I mean? He just, he just sort of like um, run over people, basically. Um, and like, it was just, I don't know, it was completely and utterly dominant. And I I don't know if we're going to see anything like it again for a while. It'd be really interesting to see what Brisbane come up with this week, um, given the fact that, you know, Stags is a big body as well. Like, do they, I don't know, do they shift some more help to help him? Because it was, it, was, it was that dominant where they're actually going to have to really think seriously about what they do. And when you compare the two as well, I mean, you know, I was bitterly disappointed in how Stags played last week because he had a couple of good games and he came up against a Bulldog side that obviously is coming dead last and everyone had high expectations. In the first half, Brisbane were terrible, um, but he had four runs in the first half and didn't go looking for the ball. And, you know, it's it's one of those real league things, isn't it? Um, and, and certainly the media bias plays a part in ramping it up too, where, like, if you're... A player of the month, if you're liked, if you're a bit popular, if you're a bit of a star or, or whatever, it's the, the narrative is always, oh, they're not getting him the ball. He's not getting mm. his opportunities. Whereas if you're not, or people think you're a bit lazy or you've got, you know, it's, oh, he needs to go looking for it. You know, it's, you know, it's up to him. You know, it's, it always really annoys me a little bit because most of the time the truth is kind of in between. And with Stags, like you can't just say they're not getting him the ball. Like he doesn't go in and take a hit up. Talakai took 20 runs and he wasn't, granted they were looking for him, but they were looking for him because of his performance. Uh, when Staggs was getting the ball last week, he wasn't doing much. And the other thing too is that Talakai will go in, granted he, he's played in the back row before, but he'll go in and take his hit-ups. I mean, with your South Sydney boys, you'll see Campbell Graham goes in and takes the hit-ups occasionally and he takes really good hit-ups and stuff. He goes looking for it to get his hands on the ball. So, well, I think that's a real big part of Stag's game that he's got to improve where he's nowhere near Talakai as far as getting his hands on the ball and taking the runs. Yeah, you're spot on because like it's you quite often see like if they kick down to say Mulatalo, like or or they kick down to the fullback, Mulatalo will take the first run, then Talakai will then take that second run. And like he's still doing damage on those runs, even with you know a semi-set line. He's still if he's not busting a tackle, he's at least sort of poking his nose through, getting a quick play of the ball, you know, making eleven or twelve meters, and then all of a sudden like Hines and Moylan and Kennedy are sort of off and gone again. So, like, it's, it's, there's so much to like about the move there. I hope Fitzgibbon keeps him there, I guess. Like, every time in the media, you sort of keep saying, oh, we don't know where his best spot is. But 
Jesus Christ, so like after, after the last few weeks, you surely you're not moving him from there. No, the, he's absolutely got a mortgage on that spot. And I mean, look, he's he's basically contending at the moment with his form for a, a shot at Luttrell's jersey in the centres for Origin One, and yeah. I I can't see any way that Fitzgibbon moves him. And look, mate, Fitzgibbon and Freddie are very tight. I can see Freddie calling Fitzgibbon and say, Fitzy, don't you dare move <laughs> that boy from centre. Yeah, and it'd be even like a like. I think they'll end up picking Hines as that sort of 14 fellow over Pappenhausen. But, like, even off the bench, like, given his versatility, he can sort of play that middle edge back row and can sort of fill out, um, you know, on the edges there. Like, it's not the silliest thing in the world to suggest he might even jag a bench spot. But, I mean, who knows? Like, all I know is it's good to watch and I hope it keeps happening, except maybe not against South. <laughs> well, one of the things with him on the bench is the New South Wales team is in quite a good spot where they've obviously got Turbo playing in the centres. So it's very easy to move him into a halves position if they get a half injury. Um, Cam Murray is someone who spent time being versatile and moving. He's spent time at hooker as well, even. So, you know, there is an argument that for some teams, having a Talakai on the bench doesn't give you enough utility value, but for a team built with extra fullbacks already in its starting lineup and so forth, it actually works out fine. And, the Blues and Freddie have actually done similar before where Wade Graham's been there on the bench. And certainly Wade Graham's, you know, able to play in the halves, but it was a similar sort of thinking where it gave them enough versatility whether Wade Graham was on the bench or when Wade Graham started where they didn't have to worry as much about it. So it will be interesting. But on the next topic that's sort of the same topic, one of the things that the Talakai performance made me think about, and I think a lot of people, was well, who were some of the most dominating centres and as far as the best performances from centres that we've seen in the past. Now, normally on this podcast, we do a legend rewind where we look at um, putting the spotlight on a league legend. The last time was uh, Lazarus. We did Freddie Fittler before that, among others. Uh, but in place of that, we're going to do a bit of a league rewind on some of the best centre performances and the most dominant ones that we've seen. So one of the first people that came to my mind after watching that half of footy from Talakai was an all-time great that really has a similar type of um, build and running game at the time, and that was Mal Meninga. Mal Meninga was one of those guys that obviously had the size uh, and the brute strength and power, but he also had the speed and the finesse as well and the skill. Uh, so, And I remember quite vividly one of his performances, um, and I was only a kid at the time, but I remember it because the Raiders actually beat the Roosters in 1990, 64-4. And... In that game, it was, you know, it was an absolute bludger for the Roosters and the Raiders were, you know, a dominant dynasty team at the time. But you can say it was a belting of a, a poorer side, but Meninga still holds the record um, in that era for points in a match. He scored 38 points of the Raiders, 64 points. Five tries and he kicked nine out of 12 goals as well. But, I mean, you're talking about dominant performances. He scored 38 points in a match there and he was just... He was just unstoppable. And when we were talking about what Talakai reminds you of and how to best describe it, um, it was the same with that game from Meninga. It was like when, you, when you're playing park footy and, and you get a kid come down from the rep teams. You know, he, he's gotten dropped out of the rep teams for some reason that week and, or he's just out of the 17. And after like two months of playing for, you know, Cronulla or whatever, he, he comes and plays for a local side. And he just comes in and just carves. And it may as well be a 10-year-old <laughs> playing against a 25-year-old. You know, that's kind of what I remember from that Mal Meninga game. But 38 points in a match, five tries, nine of 12 goals. Uh, that's the first one that came to my mind. 
Yeah, and I was I was a bit young for Meninga, but my dad was a rugby league tragic as well. So like I used to watch, like he used to record Origin games. Um, so like I, you know, I'd sit down and watch him, and you know, watch you know Alfie and and Wally, and and just sort of to, to link up with Mal, and and even like watching sort of like old Raiders highlights whenever they pop up, pop up. Like they just used to getting the ball, like with you know, it sounds so cliche, you know, getting the ball with space, and he would just terrorize you know opposition centers and. Like, it's no wonder like that sort of early nineties Raiders was just so feared by everybody. Like he was just a man man and obviously a great player as well. So Yep. Definitely. Um another guy that came to mind as well, um, who controversially, okay. Uh, and I understand that it's controversial and other people have different opinions on it. Like we said, all opinions are valid. But for me, the best center I have ever seen is Mark Gasnier. And this is a really good example. The game that came to mind for me isn't a game where he scored five tries or four tries. He didn't even score a hat trick, but he was playing against Shane Elford, his opposite, and Gaznia absolutely destroyed Shane Elford in a game in 2005, which the Dragons won. He scored the two tries, but he's the outside man, also got one or two tries as well. And it was just, it, it was kind of like, um, it was also like what Stags did to Momorowski a few weeks ago where Elford just couldn't touch him, you know, and Gaznia just absolutely blitzed him. Um, made, I think it was four line breaks from memory along with his two tries, had a couple of tries. His, and it was just a masterclass, you know, and he did it differently. You know, Gaznia wasn't the power, but he dominated with his, with his agility and speed. Um, so that 2005 game against Elford is a Gaz one that stood out. I will go a little bit personal here and say, um, you know, I've, I've, I played footy for a while and there's not that many of the best players I would say that I ever played with or against that um, actually made it to professional standard. But one of the guys that I did for not very many games was um, was Gaznia. And I remember he used to play for Renown, which is in the, the district next to mine in Cronulla. And at the schoolboys tryouts, you'd occasionally see it happen. Um, and there was the one time that I actually saw him suit up um, I was, I think it was, uh, to, it was either to go to, to the city team or the state team, one of the two. I think it was, I think it was for city. Um, but he was sitting on the sideline and I was into my third game and I was playing edge back row. So I was out sort of inside the center and stuff. And I'd broken my nose already once. So, you know, was playing big minutes because what they used to do, and I don't know if they still do it. I'm too old now. But for those schoolboys trials to get to those schoolboy mm-hmm. teams, until you get to state level, and then to the obviously to for the Australian team and so forth, and the, the things in between there, a lot of these guys just get sat out. It's like, oh, you're a Gaznia, you know, don't bother playing, or, or you know, they know a few players that they've already got earmarked, and they don't want to get injured, right? So they just don't play. Anyway, I had the shits, and I'd been belted, and I just got my nose broken potentially a second time. And I remember screaming to the trainer, I'm not, I'm not going to repeat what I said, but why is this bloke not even playing? He hasn't even come on. You know, I knew I wasn't going to get picked at that point, but I just had the shits. And, um, and I remember Gaznia um, a few minutes later coming on and playing the opposite centre to me. And not that I was the centre marketing, but I was around there, so I had to help out. In 10 minutes, he scored four tries. And three years later, he was playing for oh, the Dragons. And I just sort of felt like an idiot, but I was just sort of like, all right, fair enough. You know, at least he got out and suited up, but bloody hell. And I, I did see him a couple of games for Renown, even though I wasn't involved in him too. And he was just one of the most skilled players, let alone centers that I've ever seen with his speed and agility and how he could move with the ball. Um, but you saw that in that Shane Elford game. And for me, he's one of the best centers I've ever seen, potentially the best, but he's a standout for me. And he's probably a bit more in your age group, Andrew, where you would have seen some Gaznia game. 
and, and that's it. Like I think he hit the nail on the head. Like he he didn't necessarily beat blokes with you know with that massive strength or anything, but his footwork's outstanding. Like he's obviously quick as well, um, and like he had good hands. So he just like you said, didn't necessarily score tries for himself, but the amount of times he sort of put wingers away untouched, just you know, by drawing center and winger in, and then just sort of shoveling the ball off to the side. Like what a player, like serious player. So it's um. It's a shame he was a blue, not a not a maroon. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and uh, for the stat watch for those stat nuts as well, um, I've uh, I've broken my nose over twelve times. I lost count. I think it's at least fifteen though. So there you go, stat watch for this one. But we're going to talk about a maroon actually. So since you're up in sunny Queensland, well, sort of, sort, sort of, sort here. of sunny at the moment. It's big in the day up here. So. <laughs> it's probably sunnier than Sydney at the moment. But uh, another Queenslander, Steve Renoff. The Pearl, he was outstanding as far as how he could just come out and just put points on anyone on any given day. Um, there was one particular game that came to mind for me because I was really thinking about these dominant centre performances. 1994, Brisbane did South 40 to 10. Oh, that, that Renoff had three tries. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah uh, I, I, I thought I'd give you half a bone where it's, you know, a Queensland team and origin great as well, but he's against South, mate, so I apologise. But he had his hat trick ran off. Uh, but Wendell Saylor, a young winger coming through for the Broncos still at the time, had three tries outside him as well. Um, and it was just a really dominant performance. Now, Renoff has scored five tries in the game multiple times, but that was just one of the ones that stood out to me because uh, he was just, he wasn't just so dominant, but what he was creating and stuff. And he was just untouchable, right? And some, a couple of those tries were like beat three or four players and then run 70 or 80 metres. Um, so it, he was just a little bit different in that he was, a, he was a, half of his tries, I'd say, were long-range specials. The, the two, I guess, that I remember from, from Renoff were the, I guess, you know, the miracle try, which we all remember and, you know, we love as a Queenslander, Mark Coyne scoring the corner, but yep. he sort of burnt... I can't remember who who sort of was chasing him, but he sort of got the ball from Khan and just sort of took off down the sideline and sort of burnt him, you know, in 20 or 30 metres with, you know, with, with pace, basically, just just absolutely burnt him. And then the other one was, uh, I, I can't remember if it was 92 or 93, the grand final against the Dragons. They played in both years, but he he took, he basically a length of field try where he just, you know, was towards the end of the game, he, he again, he just sort of burnt them with pace and, you know, so gifted so naturally athletic and so skillful like like i said it's like i said i'm glad he's a queenslander not a blue that's for sure so well he also had a hat trick and a and a um, man of the match performance in the super league grand final in 97 versus the sharkies as well so renoff had that many um dominant games but another guy that had some dominant games in the 90s was a local boy from me and that was andrew eddinghausen now et he was my first favorite player um, after that, certainly Steve Menzies loved Brad Fittler, number one. But ET, when I was a child, my first favourite player. And I remember this game very vividly because he scored five tries on Souths. And I don't mean to keep bringing up Souths. No, it's just, it's these 90s again, records. Sure. It, it was not a kind decade for Souths. It was, it, it was a, <laughs> let me put it this way, it was a tough childhood growing up, sort of, you know, mid-90s to mid-2000s where we won about three games a year. It was quite tricky, to be honest. But anyway, we yeah, moved we forward. Out, yeah, thrown out of a comp and, and marching down the bloody, yeah, anyway. But we, we've moved on slowly and surely. 
Well, unfortunately, it was uh, not the heyday for South Sydney, but it was for ET. Five tries out of the team's eight tries in a 42-0 victory over South in 94. And one of the memories that I've always had for that is, you know, in sport, you know, and you guys probably talk about them, we got the chocolates quite a bit at times. You've got the hot hand theory. You know, you've, you've got guys that are just on fire and you're just unstoppable when that happens. And there were so many games, but particularly this one with ET, where you just felt like, no one was going to stop him that day. It just, you just every time he got the ball, you just knew it was going to happen for him, and it pretty much did. And it was just how he used to play. Like it was, it was interesting because he was a bit of a speedster, um, and he certainly, you know, in a lot of ways had the moves of a, of a Gaznia, had the skill set, but he was a really underrated strength as well. Like he could break tackles and things. Um, there was a lot of good memories of him playing on the wing for New South Wales, where he'd pick up a Mick Hancock and do the good old-fashioned spear tackle that was a, that was legal at the time and stuff. You know, he, he was quite a strong guy for someone that was so fast and so silky. But five tries versus South, he just did it easily and he was just on fire. So that was one of my um, favourite childhood memories of a dominant centre. And he he certainly just dominated that whole game. It wasn't even just a half a footy. And it's, it's pretty hard to score five tries in a game. Yeah, and like, I think with ET, I think we probably forget that he wasn't overly... Big. I think it was probably the last of those, you know, before the you know the big wingers and big outside backs sort of came in, like you know before yep. the Wendells and the Lotties. Like, but I guess the thing that I respect the most about ET, like I didn't see a lot of him play again. I was probably just a little bit young, but you know, those one club guys that sort of spend their whole life, you know, just you know fighting for the cause. Like he played, uh, you know, over three hundred games for one club, and then obviously the scenes when they won their premiership against Melbourne a few years ago, like he, you know, he was in tears basically. So like he's just, you know, I guess you describe him as the perfect club legend for that club. And, you know, he scored so many tries, like you said, so fast, so elusive, played a lot of New South Wales, you know, obviously a legend of the game. And he's a guy who does have a really large representative resume, but rarely gets brought up as far as all-time greats. Like, you get talked, like, Meninga gets brought up. Gaznia doesn't get brought up as much as he should. Um, ET never does, and he really should. But this other guy does get brought up in the last centre that we're going to spotlight on. And... This is one, I'm, I'm throwing you an easy one here, all right, mate? Uh, <laughs> big GI. Now, um, I've, got to, I've got to throw a little caveat, though. Look, GI is a little bit like um, a Talakai, although he was faster and more athletic, particularly in his younger days. Like People forget that GI was always big, like a six-foot-four body, but he was, he was a lot skinnier in his early days with Melbourne, um, whereas, you know, sort of mid-career, he started bulking up a lot more and he actually got really big. Mm. Um, but certainly he had that good... Uh, I guess, mix of the power, the strength, the size of a Talakai, um, but also he just had the speed and the skills of which he obviously a lot more than what Talakai does, but really good mix. Um, one of the tough things with GI, though, is that some of the games that I remember him, he wasn't actually playing at centre. Mm. So, like, he got that Clive Churchill medal um, for that Storm grand final um, yes. and the years starting to escape me. Um, yeah, it was 2007. It, it, probably, it probably had an asterisk towards it back then. We'll say yes. that anyway. Yes, I think it was 2007. And yeah. um, he, he, you know, had two tries. He set up another. And it was one of those ones where, you know, he, the try that he scored was a perfect ball, but the he had a long a long range try um, mm. with shady speed and stuff. But then he also had a, a short range try, which was just pure power, where he beat like four people and just barged over. Um, so that was one of his big performances, but it wasn't actually at centre. But GI had so many um, games at centre and so many big standouts. He is a guy that's definitely 
um, a, a Queensland great in your era as well. So why don't you tell me your thoughts yeah. on GI and his dominance as tenor? Well, you said that ET was one of yours favourite. Greg was probably mine, particularly when he came to South. So I just thought, you know, how good is this? Can't get any better. And I think he only had a sort of a, a few games at centre before Madge moved him back to fullback, where he sort of, you know, he sort of you know, single-handedly sort of pulled us through a lot of games. But like, he's one of those guys where he could be the best ring in the world, the best centre in the world, the best fullback in the world, and you know, close to the best five eight in the world. You know, within the space of two seasons. You know what I mean? It's it's like the athleticism, the skill, like. He like even like this sounds really strange. Like his kicking game, like he he could put bombs up that would literally bring snow. But you know, like I said, he's my favorite player of all time, and obviously it's so important for that you know that dominant Queensland era that we had, you know, a few years ago. Um, defensively, even towards that sort of back half of his career when he, he captained Queensland for that last series he played, I remember him putting a few really big shots on to just just to try and I guess lift the troops over the line. Um, so it wasn't just all, you know, one way downhill traffic. It's, I don't know. Like I said, he's my favorite player. Like you said, he gets the recognition that he did. Absolutely. Like he, he's just, he's a freak. I don't know if we'll anyone see anyone like him again. Yeah, but is there a standout game that comes to mind where you just thought like it was just uh, one of the best? Uh, at centre, maybe not. I, 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 he had two games against Brisbane just after we won the premiership year at fullback where he scored that try at Suncorp where he, he sort of beat about six or yeah. seven and scored in the corner. Um, and then another one, I think it was the same year against Brisbane where Reynolds sort of put a kick over. Greg caught it, bumped off Hoffman, uh, passed a bird, just, and then sort of ran around the back and got the pass back and scored under, under the post. But it, it, Origin, where he used to tear apart Matt Cooper was a personal favourite for mine. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, nothing against Matt Cooper or anything like that. But, you know, Thurston and Cronk, or Lockie at the start, and then Thurston and Cronk would get into really good ball. And he'd just use his speed and his footwork. And I remember one try he where he basically not even palmed him to Cooper to the side. He sort of palmed over the top of him and then basically jumped over the top of him and then put Darius Boyd away. Like, he, he's just an, he was just an animal, basically. He, He's just a freak. And he also um, put in the works the creation of the two-point field goal too, which can't be forgotten. Yeah, he's another really well-struck field goal. Honestly, like we should only let Adam Reynolds kick field goals for us. So I don't know if we get ever, ever going to get into another golden point game, but cross or motto, we need to find something because I don't know. If, I don't know how King. I don't know how King Cody is to kick him over. And Ilias didn't seem too keen on the weekend either. But no, that wasn't wasn't his greatest moment. Um, he was anyway, just. I guess look, we've already up. said that he was before his time, and I think he he was yeah. just a man before his time. He he knew the two point field yeah. goals were coming in. He was just getting in early, and that two point deficit yeah, at the end all of that for, one. All for and it's all for and against. So you know, <laughs> a two point loss is, is far worse than a one point loss, apparently. So well, I mean, to finish off on um on our league rewind to look at the centers in view of Talakai's recent performance, I think I'll finish off by saying one of the great things that I took away from Talakai's performance is to me. Certainly in the last five years, but even the last decade, the centre position has been in decline and it's really sad and I've lamented it many times because the 30 years prior, we had some phenomenal, amazing centres that we got to watch and it just sort of started to dwindle out, especially when we're starting to put, starting to see back rowers thrown at centre, anyone thrown at centre, centres being probably the lowest paid in the game at one point as well. And, and you just didn't see these these centres used very well. They were basically 
um, link men or, or dummy players to get cutouts to wingers and um, guys that could defend well. And that was about it. You know, the last few years, it's been not great for the centre stocks in rugby league. So it's good to see a guy like Talakai come through at the centre spot and, and revolutionise and being, well, not revolutionise, but being bring back the centre love that we used to have. Uh, look, let's move on to another topic. Um, and this one's come out of this past week as well. Uh, and that is one that's gone heavy run in the media the last couple of days. So the Canterbury Bulldogs, they, they obviously are not going well. You know, that is an understatement. They are anchored last in the league uh, and they really are last by a mile. You know, the current ladder is them winning one game, but the team in front of them is the Raiders. Um, up from there, we've got the Knights and then we've got the Tigers. And that bottom four, really, Canterbury really isn't even in touch with the teams above them, I don't think, at the moment with how they're playing. A little bit surprising um, because I did think with the recruits and stuff that came in, they would have been better. But I've been heavily critical of, of Trent Barrett myself. Uh, and one of the things that came out this week is that we got Gus Gould stepping in on the training paddock. The reports go like this for everyone that didn't see. Gus Gould um, was involved in the video session. He supposedly gave it to the first grade team and particularly a couple of different players, um, particularly the spine he focused on and gave it to him and, and gave him a really good flogging. Um, in turn, he went out and he ran the training session with Barrett on the sideline. Now, all the media about this, is it's really funny and it goes in line with what this podcast is, is really all about when we're talking footy. It's meant to be an unbiased look and this is a great example about the bias that's in the media still that, that really irks some fans and it certainly irks me. If you go into Fox Sports, the narrative will be um, all about, you know, Trent Barrett's job being over, Gus Gould overstepping the mark, Gus Gould doing the wrong thing, Gus Gould being disrespectful um, and all of this stuff that they've turned this into, whereas, you know, you won't see anything on the wide world of sports even about it. <laughs> and that's obviously because Gould works for Channel 9. Um, you won't even, and likewise too, to give Channel 9 a serve too, you know, they had a, a segment of coaches under fire and you didn't see Trent Barrett mentioned once, um, but certainly on Fox Sports you do and you probably should. So you get to see a lot of media bias at times, but NRL 360 last night, you know, I, I sometimes agree with some of Kenty's takes and I like that he speaks his mind, but it was to me horrendous at how he was flipping this story around when there just wasn't a story there. Now, Keep in mind that, um, Gus, that Gus and Trent Barrett have both come out and said it was pre-arranged for Gus to do this. Um, it was certainly a tactic. Um, and one of the ridiculous things that I find about the, the heat that's getting thrown on it is it's actually really common. You know, whether you're talking about sport or in other jobs or whatever, if you're not getting results, you need to do things differently. And, you know, what you do is that you look at different ways of doing things. And if Trent Barrett's message isn't getting through to some players, it's good to get somebody else to do it as well or to do it in a different way. And that, that's just common sense. And I would think that it would be doing a poor job if Gus didn't do this. So I am going to go on a slight rant here, Andrew, so bear with me because uh, I'm going to give you a shot at it. Yep, perfect. But, uh, <laughs> right, it's, honestly, I, one of the quotes from NRL 360 last night was that you know, 20-something days ago, Gus said on his podcast, that he wasn't involved with, he wasn't involved directly with the team. It was Trent's team. He's not out on the paddock training them and all this stuff. And they've quoted this, right? Now, in that time, you know, it's a long time in football. The Bulldogs have lost four straight after that. And they look terrible. So 
he's more than entitled to change his stance on, you know, stepping on the field or helping Trent out directly and stuff a month after, after they've had four losses and they don't look any better than what they did four weeks ago. And if, if Trent's job is under fire, it was well under fire before Cuskill went out well, and it. got into a video session and, and stepped on the training paddock. Just to reiterate, okay, Gus Gould is, is in charge of football for Canterbury. Okay, so it is absolutely ridiculous to me for people to have a go at him for getting involved with the team with the coach's permission and buy-in, by the way. You know, of course he's going to. He's not the finance manager. He's not the marketing manager. He, he manages football for the Canterbury Banks Town Bulldogs. Of course he's going to get in there. And, of course, with his knowledge and everything, Trent Barrett should want him to be a bit more hands-on because he bloody needs it. And Trent Barrett is probably, if I'm him, grasping on everything I can to get something out of my team to keep my job at the moment. Um, the reality is Trent Barrett has not been good, you know, and that's something that was lost on the NRL 360 panel and really on all the Fox Sports reporting and also Buzz Rothfield too over at the Daily Telegraph I'll give a shout-out to. What's being missed in this big narrative is Trent Barrett's no good. Now, I'm nothing personal against Barrett, but he has done an awful job with this team. They've, they've brought in half a dozen key signings, three of them in particular, Burton, Addo Carr and Dufty are out and out elite attacking players. Now, people can say what they want about like Dufty's defence or whatever, but those three guys are elite attacking players. Canterbury are doing worse in attack than what they were before. If you watch their attack, it is abysmal. And let's have a look at the stats because I always like facts. Fox and DT often don't like facts, but let's, let's just quickly do this before we go to you, Andrew. <clears throat> 70 points the Bulldogs have scored, 13 tries. 11 try assists, 17 line breaks. That is across seven matches, which is absolutely abysmal. Again, 70 points they've scored this season so far. Ryan Pappenhausen himself has scored 101 points. Mitchell Moses himself, 73 points. Those two players across almost two months of football have outscored the Bulldogs. Now, if you think that it's wrong for the person in charge of football to rip that spine internally, not externally in the media and to get out there and try and get something happening, then I think that you're absolutely nuts and that you have to have some sort of agenda to think that because you can love or hate Gus Gould, but it is his job to help that football team win games and to help Trent Barrett coach better. And they're not winning games and Trent Barrett is not coaching well. Well, that's it. I think you've hit the nail on the head for that as well because like, if you're a football team and you've got someone like Gus Gould at your disposal, would you not be crazy not to actually want to use him for something that doesn't even necessarily have to be, you know, every training or on the field training, but like a guy who's coached premiership winning sides, who's coached origin winning sides, you know, has a fantastic coaching record and just knows the game. So, well, I I think it'd be stupid not to use someone like him rather than just having him sit in the office and watch. I think that's absolutely crazy. And I think you're spot on about Barrett as well. It's not even just Canary, like, he sort of came from Penrith with this, you know, big, uh, I guess, reputation about, you know, being this attacking genius or something like that. But I think we forget as well, like he was pretty ordinary at Manly before he went back to Penrith as an assistant coach anyway. So... Force his way out of there too. Yeah, you know, it, it's sort of... I, 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 Like you said, they've recruited all these sort of guys, but has it made anything better? Not really. I've seen a lot of the stuff that adokar has been doing in regards to... Um, like he, he's been fantastic. He's speaking to him a lot and stuff as well. But I mean, like they still need to sort of get the ball to him better. Like they still need Bird to touch the ball a little bit more. Like you sign him as a marquee half and he's not touching the ball that much. I saw that bloke in that press conference 
um, sort of questioned Barrett about how he's using his halves, like how Flanagan's only touching it 29 times or something like that. And most of the time, he's just sort of going back inside to a forward. And sort of Barrett just shut it down straight away. And I thought, well, that's actually a really good question. Like, why like, why isn't this being brought up? Because I'll tell you what, if it's you know, Adam Reynolds or Nathan Cleary and they're touching it like that, they're making it, you know, they're making it count, right? And Cherry Evans is exactly the same. So I think there's more questions than answers at Canterbury at the moment. I think, I think that'd be crazy not to use Gould in some way or form on the field. And do you not think it's crazy, Andrew, that the focus isn't on Canterbury playing terribly, being anchored at the bottom of the ladder, winning one game and just looking abysmal and Trent Barrett actually coaching pretty badly in the performance of his team. The, the focus isn't on that. It's on Gus Gould stepping out there as the guy in charge of footy over there and actually trying to lend a hand and see what's going on and trying to change things. Like To me, well, that was a yeah. crazy thing, that the focus is on Gus doing that. Yeah, not the fact that they're one and seven or one and six or whatever. Like it's just, yeah, like it's just. I think wherever Gus goes, he attracts headlines and stuff like that. But, but like I sort of said, like why? I think it'd be more stupid not to use him than it would be to use him in that capacity. Like they need all the help they can get. Let's be honest. Like they've been pretty ordinary. Like I know everyone sort of you know goes on about you know they're they're tough and they're defending well and stuff. So yeah, that only works so well to a point, right? Because good teams are just going to get through that eventually and still put four or five tries on in the last twenty minutes. Yeah, even against the Souths game a couple of weeks ago, they were up 6-0 or it was 6-all after 30 minutes. Granted, they had a sin binning, but we put 30 points on them pretty quickly and we're not going that well either. Mm. So it's, you know, there's only so many times you can get away with being just a, you know, a fantastic defensive side. At some point, you need to go, you know what, we need 24 points to win this game. So, And I do need to point out, um, Fox Sports and the Daily Telegraph are very guilty of this, but certainly everyone, including Wide World of Sports and all the media outlets, have done this. Where the first one or two rounds, you had people saying, "Is should Madge be sacked?" And there was one or two rounds in, and the Tigers need to do something. All this sort of talk, and then you know, Gould has given Barrett seven rounds of football. You know that's twenty five percent of a season to actually, or more than that, to actually do something himself without stepping in. You know, so I would think that it's actually been handled perfectly as far as I'm concerned. And if the players don't like it, like, you know what, if, if players aren't performing and aren't winning and they're not playing well and somebody's telling them, especially when they're NRL players, there's going to be some guys that don't like that because there's a, unfortunately a lot of sportsmen that don't like the home truths and they don't take them very well. No, and, and it's not like this is a new thing, Canary going poorly either. Like this has been festering for seasons on seasons. So like, I think as a supporter, like you'd, you'd be filthy, really, of how they're going. So if, if things need to change, then things need to change. And I'm going to finish off by saying one other quote from uh, the Fox boys, and that was that um, was brought up. What has, what was it? Well, yeah, what has Phil Gould ever done? When, when has he actually, when, oh, ha, when has, as Rothfield <laughs> said, when has Phil Gould actually done anything that worked? When has he achieved anything? And I just sort of went, no, oh, boys, you are just going down the absolute garbage disposal here with this. Like, you can... Tabloid journalism. Yeah, and I mean, look, the way the way Rothfield phrased it, you know, it was poor of Buzz. He probably didn't even mean to say it that way. But obviously, Phil Gould's got a very distinguished playing career. Um, and they focused on the fact that, you know, the, the only premiership was at the Roosters um, in 2004. Never mind the fact that he took a few of those Roosters teams to grand finals as well. Like it was well talked about um, that Freddie Fittler went to the four grand finals at the Roosters and they won one of them. And I'd, you wouldn't hold that against Freddie because at the time the competition was really strong. So it was very hard. So to actually get to four was a big deal. You had a lot of powerhouses and there was a lot more 
or a lot less disparity among the top teams and the middle teams is, is what there is now. So, you know, it was actually a big achievement. And they talked about how he didn't get along with coaches and stuff. That, that might be the case. And there's probably some truth to that. But to try and say, you know, he's got all these New South Wales resume there as well, Phil Gould. He's won Origin Series. He's, he's contributed a lot to New South Wales winning. You know, it's, it's just astounding that you're going to say something like that. When, if you flip it around, shouldn't you be saying, what has Trent Barrett achieved? <laughs> like, as a coach, what has Trent Barrett done? To, for you to actually, you know, be defending what Barrett's done or, or somebody stepping in. Look, next topic. You need to take a quick break from the footy talk and talk about the fantastic sponsor of the NRL All-Stars podcast, and that is Top Sport. Top Sport are 100% Australian-owned bookie. If you like to have a bet, make sure you do it responsibly, but check out Top Sport. You can go to topsport.com.au or download the Top Sport app, which is super easy to use, and they often have the best odds in market, being 100% Australian-based, you're always going to get 100% Australian-based service and also the best service as well, in my opinion. Go on to Top Sport today. Use the promo code from this podcast, though, and they'll take really good care of you. So the promo code is SC All Stars, all one word. You can use that promo code when you create an account. And they've not only got the best sporting ones, but you can obviously find some great racing on there as well. And some of the, the, the super coach buffs have been getting right into the fantasy um, performance markets too. They've got their own fantasy scoring system that's based on the NRL. You can jump on there and have a look at the player performance markets. Normally the day before or the day of the game, they're available and you can bet on over and under on points scoring for fantasy points. So that's a lot of fun. So I urge you to jump on there if you like the super coach as well, but topsport.com.au, get on and create an account today with SC All Stars as your promo code. Look, next topic. Um, and this is where probably a lot of people said, Barnsley, you didn't talk about the Roosters in round six to seven. They're not going very well. I was going to get to them not going well, guys. I just was going to do its own topic about it. Will the Roosters improve, Andrew? I think this is a really good question at the moment. Um, you know, as a fan, I've looked at it and been disappointed for you know in a lot of ways. Um, and I've kind of looked at it a little bit further and sort of said, you know, are they actually going to improve? Because they have certainly fallen out of favour as a premiership favourite. We've seen it in the last couple of rounds, and we've seen it for the season. Really, they've just lost to the Dragons on a big Anzac Day clash. Um, I thought that the the whole, the whole game was pretty poor, to be honest, from everyone, including the officials, but we'll get to that as well. Um, but they just, they aren't improving. You know, what's what's wrong with the Roosters? Now, when you have a look at the numbers, one of the things I actually say to defend them, and, you know, I'm going to defend them a little bit, but then I'm also going to say what's wrong with them. So everyone hold tight. Uh, their defense is still just as good as ever. They actually rank fourth in defense in the league, fourth in points conceded, you know, a lot of defensive metrics, they're, they're okay. You know, it's not the defense that's actually holding them back. And if you see Trent Robinson's press conferences or some of his interviews, he'll actually say, like, the defense is where we want it to be. It's not it's not bad. It's certainly up there with some of our better Roosters defending teams. That's fine. Um, the problem is the execution is what it says. And when you have a look at the numbers, you know, they're a side that's only conceding 13 points a game, which is very good. But they're ranked six in line breaks and tries, which actually isn't that bad. You'd think that they're worse than that. So why why are they going so badly? When you dig a bit deeper in the numbers, they're actually equal third on amount of errors made and second and fourth on penalties conceded. So they're conceding way too many penalties. They're making way too many errors. And the errors points to the fact that they're, you know, that bleeds into what we're seeing where they're just not getting their attack humming. They're not getting it where it needs to be. And I think one of the things that doesn't come through on the stats is the, the plays where they're not making an error. Um, they're not conceding a penalty, but 
it's it not going out to the back line. It's just getting thrown inside or they're having to just eat a tackle and things like that because it's just not humming along where it needs to be. So, Andrew, I'm keen to get a non-Roosters feedback on where they're at and whether they can improve. But for me, I've said for a while, Jake Friend is critical. Um, he, him being gone really hurts them because they really need a number nine. Uh, I actually don't think that Teddy has much on him at all. I think that he's doing as much as he can. And I urge people that are critical of Teddy with the Roosters' demise to watch the games closely because if you see them, most of the time when he's getting the ball, it's Teddy do your best and the defence is just collapsing around him. He's got no runners inside or outside him. He's got very few options to take and he's getting the ball flat-footed basically um, like he's a 5'8 that's going to pass it along. Uh, but he's got no one there to do it with. When Teddy has been going good, you've got actual plays run for him. You've got him sweeping around with support plays inside and out for him to make a play. Um, you had the old Jake Friend outside in ball where he'd, he'd go out and then they'd go back inside to Teddy to attack the ruck, which started to happen a little bit more with him running in the ruck and it actually got through the Dragons a little bit. But that hasn't been anywhere to be seen. He's not getting any set plays. They're not doing any ruck work with him, which is what he's been really good at in the past. And really, there's no variance at all. It's that old under-12 thing with Teddy where it's he's the best player in your team, just give him the ball and everyone stand away. And that's not going to work. Like even the best players in the game, you know, you watch a Pappenhausen who's playing better than Teddy now. He's he's getting the ball in better spots and, and with options. You know, Teddy's not getting that. So I don't really blame Teddy. The halves though. Kiri, I'm, I love Luke Kiri. But to me, I, I was describing him to Luke that often comes on this podcast when we were having a chat the other day. Uh, and I said to him, you know what he reminds me of? Luke Keery currently reminds me of a guy who is at the end of his NRL career about to hit the Super League. That is what he currently reminds me of. Now, granted, he's coming back from an ACL and he's a lot younger than that, but it is scary at how far off the pace that Luke Keery is. And as well as Sam Walker's played, he's still a very young half and he's still, you know. So the Roosters' spine um, is a big deal as well outside of Teddy. And that's kind of where I'm at. I, I sort of think that it's... It's those couple of players and also the errors and the penalties that are really hampering them. Do I think they could come good? Look, I do. But Andrew, I'm, you know, I'm a fan of the Roosters. I want to believe that they're going to come good. But I'll say I don't think they're going to come as good as what I thought, or at least as easy as what I thought. Yeah, it's um, it's a real funny one because you know, as a, as a Rabbitohs man, I, I guess I'm programmed to you know hate the Roosters and all that type of stuff, but given the way they play their footy over the last four or five years, like, it's hard not actually to be a fan of watching them play. Like if they're playing against, you know, the Dragons or whatever like that, like I'm wanting to see the Roosters play good footy because it's good footy to watch, right? I, I couldn't agree more with you on the Tedesco thing. I think he's copying it far too hard. Like he ran for 300 and something metres last game and like people are still, yeah. still jumping on his back saying, you know, it's him, it's him, it's him. So I, I honestly don't think it is. He's making 20 runs plus a game. You know, he, he's. I think you're dead on. He's doing the best he possibly can. I am also in agreement with you on the Kiri factor, and I was sort of going to bring up, sort of, at what point you know does an injury have to occur for possibly Manu to get more involved in attack, maybe wearing the number six jersey? Because at the moment he is like he's close to head and shoulders the best player in the game, in my opinion. And again, like he's a, he's a Roosters man, so. Um, yeah, it's hard for me to say that, but he's probably close to my favorite player to watch. You know, when he sort of starts roaming in field, he just attracts defenders. He, you know, can pass both ways, he can kick. Like, he, he nearly scored on that last sort of play of the game. If he got a better pass from dummy half, he probably scores that last play of the game and you win the game and you probably sort mm. of don't hear anything, you know, for, you know, for how badly they've been going. But 
you know, at what point do they sort of think, hey, you know what, we need to get this bloke some more ball. Um, it'll be interesting to see next year with Brandon Smith coming because I agree, like the hooker scenario, I think Beryl's is is quite handy. I think it wouldn't surprise me if someone like the Titans or Redcliffe, or I can't even call them Redcliffe, can we, but the Dolphins, um, you, know, the, you know, if the Dolphins look pretty hard at him because I think he's quite handy. Um he, he's only admittedly had a couple yeah, of games exactly. back, and I've always been a big Verrills yeah. fan. So if he can actually put together a healthy season, I think he'd be a great signing yeah. for him. And I still think he has a place, even if with Smith there. And like you see how well sort of Smith and um, Smith and Harry Grant work together in Melbourne. They sort of double team as soon as as soon as Grant goes from dummy half, Smith runs in acting half, and either goes again or feeds quick ball to Munster or Hughes. So you can potentially have some sort of snare like that as well. But then you've also got to think, well, where does Connor Watson fit in there as well? Because he's, you know, sort of similar-ish player, sort of that lock hooker. You know, he at a stretch can mm. play a bit of 5'8 and stuff like that as well. But like, all the like all the bones of the side are there. Like you said, they're just essentially not clicking. I think Angus Crichton's had a really poor year by his standards as well. He's been he's been really, really um, poor. And I really expect him in the last two weeks to step up after his demotion. Mm. And and he's also not officially signed a contract mm. yet, which is interesting. Yeah, interesting. And it's just not happened. Yeah, and like I think onto the errors and penalties as well, he he sort of contributes a lot, not necessarily the error, he gives away a lot of penalties. And he's not actually offloading the ball that much. And I think Tedesco gets a lot of good ball off the back of an Angus sort of offload you know, deep into the line. He sort of then, Teddy goes and frees up, you know, with Tupu on the wing or, or you know, Morris on the wing last year. He was doing a lot of, I remember that sort of game, I think it was last year or the year before, they just tear the Bulldogs off and, you know, Angus scored two and Teddy scored two and it's just an absolute carver. Angus is not only not busting any tackles, he's not offloading either. So there's sort of none of that second phase. Like, Radley's trying his best, but I mean, again, like he's sort of not getting a lot of help. I actually think Takiyahu has been pretty decent this year as well, which is, I thought he was going to more decline, but I actually think he's been close to your best forward this year at the moment. Yeah, and it probably gives away to another thing that is a bit of a weakness right now, which is that the middle forwards aren't doing great. And I really mean our front row rotation. Like, I think Lindsay Collins, it was coming back from a serious injury, but certainly he played better prior to that injury than what he is now. Um, and I think more is expected of him to take that alpha prop role, which he hasn't done. Our, our meters and our runs and stuff in the guts hasn't been good enough, really. Um, and Jared, I still think, is a really good player. And he, he cops too much flack, too. Like, he's not playing very well, but he's also a guy that really should be 35 to 40 minutes off the bench and be an yeah. absolute, the best bench front rower in the league. Yeah. And that is where he's at right now for the next two years. Um, but he's being asked to do more than that, and that's not really fair on him. And then, well, even even last year, he was playing like big, big minutes in that middle part of the year. Like he was sort of playing sixty to eighty minute games. But like I agree with you, like he's a fifteen minutes either side of half time. Let let's try and make one hundred and thirty meters in in thirty minutes, sort of thing, and just try and beat them up through the middle. So, yeah. So do you think that they're going to improve? Like, do you see him getting into the top four? Or I think I think they will. I just think they're too good, and I think they'll. The, the origin period for them is going to be really interesting because their draws a bit sort of funky in around origin. They play sort of a few of the top sides in and around that origin period where you just don't know if blokes are going to get rested. The good thing with with you guys is that I actually don't think you lose a whole heat with Manu going back to fullback when Tedesco is out. Like he, mm-hmm. but Manu for mine is probably a top five or six fullback anyway. So, like I don't think you lose a whole heat there. Um, and the halves are going to be intact as well because neither of yeah, them are going to play Origin now. You'd think so, unless you know, something happens to Cherry Evans and they pick and they pick Walker. But like, I, 
I think they will. They'll be in that sort of battle with sort of, you know, the Manly, Cronulla, Parramatta, that sort of, you know, three to six. And I, I, to be honest, our Rabbitohs, I, I see us sort of more the seven to eight sort of mark, even though we beat you blokes earlier in the year. I thought I'd just slip that one in anyway. <laughs> That's fair. Very <laughs> but fair. Yeah, uh, but yeah, I, I can't see us. Oh, well, you know, we might be in that little battle, but, you know, that sort of three to six area. But it's so important. Like, you can't, it's bloody hard to win from outside the top four. So it is it's all well and good to say it doesn't really matter, but it is, it's pretty important. So one of the good things for the Roosters is, is, is on wins and stuff and on wins and losses they are actually four and three and they're equal fifth. So as bad as they've been playing and, you know, I've raised this in the super coach podcast many times, as bad as they're playing, which is about as bad as they could go. They're still in the top five teams and they're still winning games. So, you know, it's, it would be much more of a harder slog if they were like, you know, one and six or something like that. But they've played bad enough at times to be that, but they ha- they aren't. So I think that's the positive. And I, that's why I think that they can improve because if they can go four and three at this point playing the way they are and with the talent that they have there, then they've got to get better. Now, I would have said before the season started, it was Penrith, Melbourne and the Roosters. And those were the clear-cut top three teams. And I think the bookies and everyone would have agreed with me. But, yeah, you know, I, I wouldn't possibly say that now. Melbourne and Penrith are definitely the top two in the Roosters at the moment. I don't think they could catch them. But they've got the ability in their side to surpass those expectations at least, which I don't yeah, know. I, agree. I don't know if a few other teams actually have even the ability to get to 100% and have those extra gears to find. At least the Roosters kind of do. So a little bit of hope. Um, I'd still pick Penrith and Melbourne to be in the grand final, but I do agree with you, Andrew. they will be just behind. Um Controversy over that game on the weekend, though. It was obviously the Tupo high shot. Now, my opinion on this is going to be quite different, um, and I'm very cognizant of the fact that everybody will say, Barnsley, you're a one-eyed Roosters supporter. I really try not to be one-eyed, and I give it to them a lot of the time too. So I really don't think I am, but I'm going to come off that way because of my opinion on that tackle. So I'm sure that you'll disagree, Andrew. I welcome it. Give it to me after I say this. But to me, far too much is being made out of that high shot. Now, I'm going to explain why. The first thing that I will say is probably this season, based on what we've seen, Tupo should have gone to the sin bin. Okay, I will say that. But to me, it is the wrong thing to do to say, because all these other wrong calls were made, we should make another wrong call. You know, to me, it should be all these other calls were wrong. Let's not make more wrong calls. You know, like so this is the part where I think we've got to be really careful as rugby league fans when we bay for blood, what we're asking for. Because to me, 70% plus of the sin bins this year have been farcical. We don't want those happening in the game. So if those sin bins are farcical, are they really the best barometer to say, you know, what future sin bins should take place? Shouldn't we be saying, let's not do that anymore? You know, let's, let's get back to sin bins being proper sin bins and not doing the wrong thing over and over again. You know, that's the first part. And some people, are, you know, I've seen some amazing overreaction to this two-point tackle. He should have been sent straight off. It should be a straight send-off. Um, I've seen people compare the Hetherington shots to him, to his suspension, which I think is unfair because, for one, Hetherington had loading at the time and Tupo has none. Um, so, yeah, it's, it, there's been a lot of things said with Tupo where people wanted him to get six weeks and stuff like Latrell Mitchell as well. I've seen comments about. Um, and to me, just looking at that tackle, it was a high tackle. It's definitely a penalty. Um, but one of the things that Abdo came out and said, I actually disagreed with, and that was, he said it was direct contact with the head and it was forceful. Now, to me, watching it, it wasn't direct. Um, if you watch it, you'll see he actually hits the ball. 
and it comes up and slides over the ball and then slides up across his head. So direct contact is it hits him flush in the head. That did not happen. The second thing about it is forceful. Now, that is a wrapping arm where you can actually see Tupo pull out of it and Ravalawa duck under it. And it was so forceful that Ravalawa was fine, not injured. And if you actually watch the vision of it unedited, 30 seconds later, him and Tupo were smiling and they gave each other a pat on the head and stuff. Ravalawa is completely fine. Tupo is 105 kilos and six foot six. If he hit him forcefully with direct contact to the head, Ravalawa would not be fine. So I'm not one that ever, Andrew, wants to bring in, you know, penalties based on the injury. I, I think that's terrible. You've got to do it on the action. But to me, the action was, it was a, a poor tackle. It was a high tackle. It was a penalty. Under the current conditions, it should be a sin bin. But I would argue the current conditions are wrong. And that is not a sin bin if we want the game to be fair income and to be run better. And I'll go on the record and say, you can listen to old podcasts this year. I defended Sewer to the hilt. Sewer's gotten a couple of sin bins on the opposite side of the Roosters this week that have been abysmal. They never should have happened. Um, Hetherington has been poorly done by as well at times where he shouldn't have been sent to the bin. Uh, you know, but again, two wrongs don't make a right. You know, we've got to stamp it out and stop making the wrong calls. To me, the right call for Tupo is it's a high shot. It's a penalty. Um, maybe he misses one week, um, but I think that's sufficient. Um, and we, we kind of move on. So, in summary, Andrew, to me, he hit the ball first. I think he was going for the ball. It slid up. It was uh, careless. He's come over his head and he certainly made contact with the head, but it certainly wasn't an old-fashioned clothesline or stiff arm either. So I think we're probably making too much out of it and not enough out of the fact that most of these sin bins should be probably questioned at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think it made it sort of looks worse when you know, had these, the, the legs sort of fling out from underneath you as well. Um, and I agree. It was sort of more of that sort of, like you said, not not a clothesline, that sort of slingshot action where he sort of, sort of stuck the arm out. It wasn't like a swinging arm or anything like that. So I'm surprised they didn't bin him, given what we'd seen. But also the fact that, like, I agree with you. So just because it was a high tackle doesn't mean he has to go to the sin bin, right? So the the one that really got me over the weekend was the Ola Kalatu one from Manly the other night. He got sin bin five minutes after it happened. Like, yeah, and there was a lot of people that spoke about that in comparison as yeah. well, which was poor. Well, and, and it's sort of like... Um, the Tolman got up, played the ball. They did a set of six. I think it might have been score or it might have been a penalty later in the track. I think it was a try actually. And they and then they go, oh yeah, no, bring it back. Um, you sin bin. And they said, where does so? I guess where does the line get drawn? Like, like I could I could have it either way with the sin bin for two. But I think one week is more than enough. He's not a he's not a dirty player. It wasn't any. I don't think there's any malice in it or anything like that. Um. I think one week's fine. If they, if he, if people were screamed for two or three weeks, then I think that is severe overkill, to be honest with you. And that's coming from a Rabbitohs man who, you know, wants to see the Roosters lose, I guess. But, um, you know, <laughs> it's like, I, I honestly think like one week's enough. Take the slap on the wrist and move on. It's, I, I can't even remember if he would have had anything against him, fines wise or anything like that. He well, I made this call cool. too. Yeah. He's yeah. never been, I don't, I don't remember him ever being charged or missing a game through judiciary. And it's one of those things that, uh, that, um, Landy's and Abdo did this year where they wipe the sheets clean. So it doesn't even matter anymore. Um, which is, you know, it, it's good for guys with bad records. And I, I think it should be the case, right? Like you shouldn't have something you did three years ago affecting, giving you an extra week and stuff, which is why Heatherington's are so bad at the moment, by the way, but it, people need to remember it was a 200 point charge, right? So it was actually a two week suspension. But the early guilty plea gets him one week, which is important to note too. Yeah, and, and like the the issue with that is, well, if he does, he probably won't do anything similar. But you don't 
like you sort of, you know, I, I don't want to quote Gus all the time, but you don't want to miss like big games of football for two really minor things like that, especially and like even for like a winger, like that type of stuff happens a bit in the middle, you know, the forwards going hard at each other and, you know, they sometimes whack each other ahead. I understand that. But, you know, this was a winger against another winger. Granted, they are big bodies and stuff like that. But you, you mentioned that you sort of can't take the injury into account a little bit, but you sort of subconsciously do anyway. Like if Ravalar was knocked out, then yeah, like we're probably buying for blood and there's all the ten of the being recent off and he gets three or four weeks. But the fact that he got up and tried to play the ball basically, you know, it's sort mm. of like um yeah, like it's it's not a look uh, I would have been happy either way. Um the Dragons still ended up winning the game, so it's not like it costs them the game or anything like that. Um but like, a week is more than enough. Yeah, I didn't want to say that. <laughs> I, I just honestly, I just didn't think it was that bad, and I was so surprised. And like, I my mates, mates of mine commented on first seeing it when I was watching the game, and they were like, "Oh, geez, that's bad. That's a send off." And I was like, "It's that was soft as butter. He's barely hit it's a fly a, off." It's not head. a send. That's not a send off. Is a send off is what Barnett did three weeks ago. You know, I mean, that's a, that's a send off. Yeah. Like a send off is tripping someone. It's like I see. I think they've sort of got it wrong because like, I think like tripping's worse than that. You know, if you stick a leg and trip someone, I think that's... And that used to be a really big... um, That used to be a really big penalty, right? Because tripping someone going at their legs can actually cause pretty bad injury. And and it's a a specific conscious play where, you know, with a tackle like Tupos or other high shots, it's... It's a byproduct of tackling mm. someone sometimes. And a lot of the time, you know, they're not going out to hit that person in the head. But with a trip, you're going out there to yeah. kick out him and trip him. So it's... Yeah, 100%. Uh, well, look, I, I think that... um, the, I don't want to come off that either of us are condoning the two-bash shot. It's a high tackle. But I'll finish off by saying we really don't want to get to a point where us as fans want every high tackle, sin bend and missing games. Because there is going to be high shots in rugby league forever. You are never going to eradicate it. And 99.9% of them are not intended to hit anyone in the head. It's just a byproduct of playing and tackling in a contact sport. So we need to keep that in mind. Um, Let's finish off on that one though. Andrew, thanks very much for coming on. Really appreciate it. Um, First time guest on the All-Stars podcast and you nailed it. Beautiful. We got the chocolates. Hopefully you get a few more listeners and stuff, but um, yeah, keep up the good work on that one as well. No, nah, mate. Thanks, man. Like I said, I could. I love talking footy. I like talking about anything, even the roosters. I'm happy to keep doing some roosters chat in there for you as well, mate. But no, nah, it's it's great fun. Thanks for having me on, mate. Like I said, thanks for giving the our boys a bit of a plug as well. So we'll, I'll make sure I, I mention it to the boys that I came on. And um, yeah, awesome. Thanks for having me on. Good stuff. Thanks, Andrew. Well, for everyone looking to listen to this podcast, make sure you do so on SoundCloud, Audible, iTunes, or Amazon. You can find us everywhere. Oh, also Spotify. Almost forgot. Uh, and you can also find us on Twitter, NRL underscore SC underscore All-Stars. And make sure you hit up the sponsor of the All-Stars podcast, and that is topsport.com.au. Go to topsport.com.au, create an account today, and use promo code SC All-Stars to make sure they take great care of you. Excellent round of footy coming up, guys and girls. It is going to be a phenomenal round. We're going to be back with the TLT Supercoach episode recorded on Tuesday night, hitting Wednesday. And next week, we will be back with a brand new Talk and Footy episode dropping the Friday and a couple of brand new guests next week as well, which should be really exciting to talk super coach with and also to talk footy with. So until then, enjoy the round of footy. Thanks very much for listening. We'll chat again. Hey now, you're an all-star. Get your game on. Go, go.